Christian like they do lives in Ruth's or in uh, Naomi's family. But Naomi has been threatened the whole time. Threatened because she says, God has done wrong to me. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And it's kind of interesting. That's a, that's a compassionate move on Naomi's part. She's moving toward compassion there. Now Boaz, with, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. Does it sound like a Bible story to you? When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. That sounds risky to me. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, you know what that means, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. Because I, 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 mean, I envision that it's a very dark kind of circumstance. He's in a threshing floor. It would have a roof and walls and all of that. And uh, he's actually there probably to protect the grain from uh, being stolen. So it's quite dark. He, doesn't, he can't tell who this is. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is, nothing, there is another who is more closely related than, that, uh, than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me this six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Quickly, a few things here that I think are significant here. And it is a very fascinating kind of story. First, Boaz is recognized, made by Naomi, as a potential guardian redeemer. And I said last week that I would explain this. We won't go through all the biblical passages or anything to discuss this, but if you were to look at Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25 and following, it gives very specific instructions to family members of those who have come on a hard time. So if someone has become poor, someone's lost a loved one, in this case, like Naomi losing her husband Elimelech and then losing two sons, all of that puts Naomi at great risk 
But more importantly, as far as the Jewish system is concerned, it puts Elimelech's heritage at risk. Somebody could easily come along and marry Naomi, who is not from the family. And if that's the case, anything that Elimelech possessed would go with the new family. And so it's important that Boaz or somebody who is in the family take some responsibility here and make sure that he cares for this uh, this relative of his. And there is an obligation there. In the story, you get the impression that there's some opportunity for not, um, you know, well, for getting out of this. And in fact, in chapter four, that's exactly what the closest relative does is he takes opportunity to get out of his responsibility and Boaz picks up the responsibility. So there's some opportunity here to get out of this. But, but basically, it is a family responsibility to take care of the heritage of those who've been at great risk. And it's not just taking care of the land so it can stay in the, the, in the family or something. It really is for the sake of the care of those who are in a hard way. So this is, Kevin talked about compassion a moment ago. This is really a compassionate act that's being called for. And Boaz, as far as Naomi's concerned, and it may be that Naomi's thinking, well, this is the guy. He's the one who needs to take this responsibility. Um, in fact, she may... She may well think this is the closest relative or something. And so she's putting Ruth in a position where Boaz then can become this person who then marries into the family, uh, which, by the way, wouldn't necessarily have to be the case. He wouldn't have to marry into the family. But he was this guardian redeemer responsible for producing heirs in addition to taking care of the financial things. So there's quite a responsibility. The second thing there, Naomi schemes a bit to make things happen. And it was interesting, on Thursday night in our life group here, we had quite a discussion about whether or not Naomi's scheming is kind of underhanded and not really laudable, or whether or not she does this this with some integrity. And what I think is happening is that Naomi is actually starting to progress here in her, her positive relationship again with God. And so I think that Naomi schemes a bit to make things happen, but I think with integrity. And there's a strong move here from Naomi's hopelessness to her hopefulness as she sees God working things out in her favor. And I think that's exactly what happens. That Naomi's watching God's providential care of her family. And, and, and yes, she kind of forces Boaz's hand here. But clearly from verse 1, she's doing that because she has some compassion for Ruth. And so it's not just a selfish act on Naomi's part. She's doing something on behalf of Ruth as well. And so I think this is evidence that there is this positive thing kind of going on. She sees God's providence in this. And and certainly a major theme of this book, that Naomi progresses through grace through this hard time. God's grace keeps extending to her because as grace keeps coming to her, Naomi has a chance to kind of make her way back to God. Thirdly, the move Ruth makes to become Boaz's wife, and and I think that's what's happening here. Like, you can see this pretty easily as being, uh, on one sense, a, uh, a compromising move on Ruth's part. You go to a man's bed, you uncover his feet, you lay down. What are you expecting is going to happen? But, but Ruth, I think, is doing this in a, in a way that I would characterize as a marriage proposal. I think that Ruth is actually acting with integrity. Uh, verse 3 and 4 tells us that both Naomi and Ruth want to wait until Boaz has had his fill of eating and drinking and goes to bed, which is interesting. The man eats and drinks, and let's assume that he's drunk. We hear about what happens when people get drunk. Sometimes people don't make great decisions when they get drunk. Sometimes people's inhibitions are lost when they get drunk. 
It's very possible that if Ruth had gone to Boaz's bed prior to him going to sleep, because he would have been weaker, I think, in his maybe drunken, inebriated condition, that something would have happened which was not at all what Ruth actually wanted to happen at this point and wouldn't have thought that that was a good thing for Boaz either. Because as we saw last week, these are two people with great integrity. Both Ruth and Boaz actually want to act the way that God wants them to act. So rather than this being some wanton move on her part, an immoral act by this woman, I think she goes there and waits until he's asleep so that when he finally does wake up and discovers that there's a woman at the foot of his bed, that now he actually actually has the capacity to be in his right mind and make some good choices. Where if she'd gone there too early, I think there'd been way more opportunity for something to happen that would have been uh, inappropriate. And I think Ruth wants it to be appropriate. I think Boaz wants it to be appropriate, ultimately. So now, after the effects of the alcohol have worn off, then she can be there in his presence and... And it actually turns out to be a a beautiful thing. Because this woman really does make what I think is a beautiful move to say to Boaz through her actions, let's not compromise integrity. Yes, I'm here, but I'm here in a way that I think honors this new commitment that I've made to this God who you serve and I serve. And her very act of waiting till he's asleep, I think, puts her in that position of making a legitimate proposal of marriage quite in line with the customs of the day. That's what I think is actually going on. So there are at least three things I think that are happening. One, an attempt is being made by Naomi and Ruth to get Boaz to accept his responsibility as the one who should care for their family as a guardian redeemer. Now, again, I think they jumped the gun a little bit. There is somebody else in line here. Boaz talks about that. But this is really their attempt. And I, and I think there's something good about this. In fact, I think it's interesting that they're so willing to act in the way that they do. Secondly, Ruth makes a proposal to this fine man, Boaz, that she become his wife so that this is how this, his role as guardian redeemer can actually be fulfilled. The family is protected and Ruth gains a wonderful husband. So there's a sense in which this is all very practical and I would say a wise move on the part of Naomi and Ruth. Then thirdly, and of course, in the midst of this, Boaz is being honored because he, as an older man, is being afforded an opportunity with this young woman of honor. And so a beautiful young woman gives herself to him. And in the midst of that, Boaz is actually honored and blessed um, to have that happen. Now, by the way, I think it's again fascinating just how humble these people are like you watch the exchange takes place that takes place between Ruth and Boaz in a, in a dark um, grain bin. It's not a very attractive, a very attractive environment, of course, but they are, they are humble and filled with integrity. And I think they are dealing with each other on a way that is, that is absolutely respectful of each other and respectful of what they think that God is doing. God seems to be working in their lives, and they're quite willing to allow God to work in the ways that he is. They just accept that, they're humble about it, and it's beautiful. Now, as the story moves on and transitions from chapter 3 to chapter 4, we do find out there's somebody else in line. Another person who really is in the position to take Boaz's place as the guardian redeemer. And Boaz, actually, as the story unfolds, we'll get to that more next week, or Michael, actually, will get to that in February 9th. Michael's going to preach chapter 4 on February 9th. 
Um, but but the, whole, the whole thing moves in a way that is, again, filled with integrity. Boaz makes sure that he follows all the rules. And yet at the same time, Boaz does indeed act. And so has Ruth. And that's what I want to say here at the end. There is always a need for God's people to act. Like, there's no room here for Boaz or for Ruth to kind of stay back in the, in the shadows and play a passive role and for them not to do something. God actually accepts their movements to, to act here and to do something in, term, excuse me, <coughs> in terms of bringing about what, what God is trying to perform. They play out a role here. God is providentially bringing this about, but he needs Ruth and Boaz to be willing to act. And so God, through his providence, may work things out very well, but he still expects something other from us than just passivity. I think sometimes we have to act. We have to take some risks. We have to be willing to work. We have to be able to risk something in order for God to use us. And so accomplishing his will doesn't mean let's sit back and watch God work. Let's sit back and watch the Holy Spirit work. Let's instead embrace what God is doing and be active in what God's plans are and include ourselves in his activity. At some point, we need with integrity and humility to take some risks, acting faithfully and expecting God to bless our efforts. Where's Hege? Hege, are you in here? Where are you? Come here, sir. Come on down. Hegedy Striker. Give him a hand, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the very fact that he's walking up here takes some risk. Of course, it'd be terribly embarrassing for me if he said, no, I'm not coming. But he's, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll come. So, he, so he's come here. And he, he didn't know this was going to happen. Let's imagine, let's imagine that this morning I brought with me into this auditorium a rifle. Okay, I don't have one, but let's imagine that I did. Let's imagine I brought a gun in here, and uh, foolish enough as I was, I took the gun out of a case, I put a bullet in there, handed it to Heejee, and I said, Heejee, pull the trigger. There would be some risk involved in that as far as Heejee is concerned, not to mention maybe one of you. But what would happen, Heej, if you took that gun, and you, the reason I can ask him these questions is because recently Jonathan and Heej and I went hunting, and I actually did hand him a gun, and he actually did shoot it. So tell me what that was like. Would, like before you pulled the trigger, what, do, what did you expect was going to happen? Yeah, a very big bang, a very loud noise. Now, we put some ear protection on him, but nonetheless, if you've ever fired a high-powered rifle, and the one that he was shooting was a high-powered rifle. It was a man's gun, not a boy's gun. And he's pulling the trigger. That thing is going to make an amazingly loud noise. Even with the ear protection on, it's going to scare you. It's going to go bang like that. And, and you could jump conceivably if you were to hear that sound. Okay? So, so Hegedy grabs this gun, and he knows this is going to happen. He's been around guns before. He knows that this bang is going to take place but he still pulled the trigger. What else happened when you pulled the trigger besides a loud bang? Bang, like that. It kicked him. In fact, it would kick him hard enough, 
in the shoulder that it could actually bruise him if he, you know, like if he didn't have the right clothes on or something like that. It, it, like I said, it's a man's gun. It's going to bruise him. So there is some risk involved in Hegedi pulling the trigger and this gun going off. Loud bang, lots of power coming back into his shoulder and all of that. But when you pulled the trigger and the gun went off with the loud bang and it hit you in the shoulder and all that, what happened then? Just describe for me what, what the next few events were. That's exactly right. I did think he missed the target. Well, like we'd set up a Pringles can out in the middle of a field. And I, you know, I said, shoot at the Pringles can. And the Pringles can didn't move after you pulled the trigger. And I looked at it and I said, well, you didn't hit it. That's too bad. But good on you for pulling the trigger and you know, all that. So then I, I thought, well, we'll just go out and look at it and make sure it's not going to fall over with the next shot. And, and Heach and I started walking out there. And what happened? You did hit it. You know, we got within about 10 yards of this thing, and I looked, and there was a hole right through the top of the can. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. The kid hit it. Way to go, Heech. I thought, you know, he knew it was going to bang. He knew it was going you know, to hit him pretty hard in the shoulder. He obviously held, you know, held fast to his target and hit this thing. So I turned to him. I said, do you want to do it again? He goes, yep. So we went back over to, and got all set up again, put the shell in again, you know, that and now he's already, he's just done it. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be just as loud this next time. And, and it's going to hit him just as hard the next time. Bang, the whole thing goes off. Well, I'm not going to say he didn't hit it this time before I see the evidence. And if, I think we actually saw the can move. So I, we walked out there and the two bullet holes were touching each other. Pretty impressive. Huh? Way to go, Heej. Here's the point. One of these days, this young man might go hunting and actually shoot something. That's a possibility. But even if he doesn't, even if he just shoots at cans all his life or something, there is some risk involved in pulling that trigger. And he's now experienced that several times. The gun goes off and it's really loud. And it does hit your shoulder and sometimes it even hurts. And especially when you, how much do you weigh? 88 pounds. So he's 88 pounds and if you're 88 pounds and you're, and you're, shooting a gun like what I gave him, like it's, you know, that's not an easy thing. But he experienced all that. There was risk involved, everything. But now I get to come up on front of, he gets to come up in front of a whole bunch of people and have me tell his story. There's something kind of cool about that. The guy shot a man's gun and he did very well. Way to go, Heege. And, and, and the fact is that one of these days, you know, it could be that he's going to be out shooting at, at something that's going to put meat on his table or something. There is risk involved. When you go to pull the trigger, you don't know what's going to happen. Potentially, it's going to blow up in your face. At the very least, it's going to be a loud bang and a big shock to your shoulder and all that. But he was willing to do that. Living life for God sometimes is it's incredibly risky. We don't always know exactly what's going to happen. But there are rewards that are going to come out of that where even when you experience the big bangs of life and the jolts that go with the recoil of life, nonetheless, God can bless us and do wonderful things if we're willing to take the risk. Now, this is fortuitous or God's providence or whatever. We're telling the story about Ruth and Boaz and all of their risks and all the good things that God does this, through this eventually in, in bringing forth David because they were his great-grandparents and eventually coming even with Jesus, who is in that same lineage. But this morning, in addition to all of that, we're about to have an AGM. 
One of the things that's going to happen at the AGM is somebody, probably Jordan Clark, is going to stand up and say, I hope you give money to our church in 2020. And here's the thing. That's a risky request. Especially if you decide, I'm going to give 10%. Especially if you said, I'm going to give 10% of my gross. I'm going to give the Lord a sizable portion of my income in 2020. There is huge risk involved in that. You have to put yourself out there. You may experience a big bang. But God is going to bless you. And he's going to bless us. And good things are going to happen if we're willing to put ourselves out there and risk a little bit for him. And so I'm encouraging you to take some risk. Can you imagine what it was like for Ruth to walk into a dark grain room with a man that she knows has been eating and drinking and lay down at the foot of his bed and say to him, when all she's done so far is gather some grain from his fields and say to him, I will be your wife. Wow. But God did something incredible with that, with the risk she was willing to take. How are we, as children of God, willing to take some risks? It may cost us something. It can be a challenge. We have to put ourselves out there. But God, in the midst of that, I believe, is going to bless us and do wonderful things. And I hope that you're willing to act, expecting that God is going to honor that risk that you take on his behalf.